have a couple of announcements about upcoming programs. So Saturday the 18th of December is the Christmas satsang starting at 7.15pm. Then on Saturday the 25th of December, obviously it's Christmas Day so there'll be no program. Then New Year's Eve, which is a Friday, the 31st of December, there'll be a yagna or fire ceremony at 6.30pm. And New Year's Day, uh, there will be a program, a satsang, at 7.30pm. And also, very excitingly, the summer retreat dates are January the 8th to the 16th, culminating in an intensive on Sunday the 16th of July. There are limited accommodation options opening this week, so stay tuned. We'll send a newsletter out this week when bookings open up, so please check your emails and our social media. And Welcome to Satsang. <coughs> Bhagwan Nityananda said, Oh beggar, burn the delusion of the mind in the fire of yoga. Make sure your thoughts are no heavier than an apple. <laughs> That's a new idea for me. I was liking that. <laughs> a new criterion. <clears throat> Those who have not realized Brahman do not know the truth. That's a wonderful phrase, to realize Brahman. Uh, and uh, the mind can do all kinds of extraordinary things with that phrase. But one of the things it means is that to become aware of a higher power, not just theoretically aware of it, but experientially aware of this higher force, this higher power beyond the mundane that it actually is tangibly alive. We call it the Shakti. <clears throat> Those who have not realized Brahman do not know the truth. They do not experience real joy. They are tormented by ego. Be always immersed in ananda, in joy. That's what Bhagavan is saying. Be always. There's no reason not to be always blissfully happy. That's a very high bar, isn't it? Since there seem to be many billions of reasons not to be blissfully happy. But from the point of view of a great yogi, there is no reason. <clears throat> desire is fruitless. Burn your desires in the depth of your mind. Destroy it internally. He's saying, work within yourself. Sort out your mind. Sort out your inner being, and happiness can be yours. That's the way to happiness. There's a path that the great sages have all walked, and it's a path to happiness. And we celebrate that, that path every Saturday night in satsang. And I also celebrate the great sages who have shown the way. And God is extremely generous. It's not that there's only one sage back in 500 BC or, or uh, zero uh, BC uh, that existed then, and we can all just pine for it. He, there are great beings all the time. There are always great beings on the planet, though they're invisible. They're invisible to those with material eyes, with eyes that are mundane. But when you start to awaken, then you come in touch with this great teaching and you come in touch with the great beings. Uh, and these great beings 
gives this one truth that there is something higher than the mundane. There's something, there's, there's a, a strain of joy and a bliss and a peace that we can all attain. So I always celebrate the great beings in these programs. My favorite great being is my own guru, Baba Muktananda, and he's the subject tonight. He began every talk by saying in Hindi, Sabko Varisan Mane Kesat Premse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And the essence of that welcome was the recognition of the divinity within every person. If you want to look for holiness, if you want to look for uh, perfection, if you want to look for divinity, you can look for it within yourself and you can also see it in every other person because every other person is filled with consciousness and is actually nothing but consciousness. And that consciousness is the holy grail, it's the holy spirit. So, Baba, let's see. What do we have? Uh, so th this uh, program tonight will be sort of a mixture of the Baba of my day, back in Ganeshpuri in the ashram in the early 70s, and his tours. This is, can you tell which one this is? Miami. Huh? Miami. Good guess. So it's, it's Baba on tour. Probably Miami, but not necessarily. But you can tell by the way he's dressed and the way he's quaffed. He always say that he becomes gentleman Baba when he goes and he's very uh, uh, color coordinated and uh, well dressed. Of course he's out in uh, giving programs in the West. So there's one very radiant picture. Next. Uh, here he's uh, telling one of his stories, a Sheikh Nasruddin story I would, I would wager uh, in in uh, the ashram hall somewhere in the, in the west, I'm doing one of his tours. Humorous story. Next, what do you have next? Uh, this was uh, the culmination in some ways. Uh, this was his talk at uh, Carnegie Hall in New York, the iconic uh, musical hall, and he uh, gave a talk on love. Uh, I wasn't there because I was in Australia. But my parents went and saw him that night. <clears throat> okay, so Baba, uh, well, the first one is from Baba in Ganeshpur in my day. And as I've told many times, uh, we would go into his room and ask him questions about the spiritual path. This is one that's uh, memorable. Divakar asks, Baba, I feel guilty about many things in the past. I feel I've let you down. There are certain people who were tormented by the past. And um, Baba had a wonderful attitude towards it. He said, Baba said, this is very good. In fact, there's nothing more purifying than repentance, than a sincere feeling of remorse. Nothing, not even regular baths, not even holy rituals can purify as much as sincere remorse. In the Gita, also the Lord says, the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord Krishna says, 
even those who are considered to be utterly unworthy and downtrodden become one with me if they repent. It is pride, conceit, which brings the complete downfall of a person. So when Bhava's talking about repentance, it's not quite the Christian repentance, but it's, it's to give up pride, to give up ego, to give up the insistence on one's opinions and one's way and one's ideas and surrender. Bhava says there's nothing worse than pride. <clears throat> In the Bhagavatam, one of the uh, great scriptures of the path of devotion. In the Bhagavatam, there's a very good story, the story of the king elephant. In spite of enormous strength, he was losing a fight with the crocodile. It was only when he became free from the consciousness of his own strength and utterly humble and remembered the Lord that the Lord himself appeared and helped him. And there was a statue of, of this moment in, uh, in Ganeshpuri where the the elephant is in the jaws of the crocodile and he's remembering the Lord and the Lord's coming to free him. <clears throat> Baba goes on. Repentance is connected to humility and lack of pride. If you're proud of your family or your status, that pride will obstruct your meditation and all your other spiritual practices. The name of the teacher who taught me Vedanta is Mupanarya Swami. We have a Picture? There he is. Mupanarya Swami was uh, a disciple of Siddharud Swami. Baba took sannyas when he was 20 years old in the ashram of Siddharud Swami, who was the great Siddha of South India. And one of his chief disciples was this man, Mupanarya Swami. And um, in 1977, Baba had a heart attack, and right at that time, this man, Mupamanarya Swami, arrived in Ganeshpuri, and he was about 90 years old. And he looked like that, but he was uh, very, very old, and uh, visited Baba, and there was, the, I wish we had that video, there was a beautiful, touching video of their meeting in Baba's room, and Mupanarya blessed him. Baba's moved to tears by seeing his old, his old teacher. So he, he taught Baba Vedanta, and very, uh, very esoteric form of Vedanta. So, okay, there's Mupanarya Swami. He says, I, uh, Baba says, I used to wash his bathroom, and as a result of that, I still fully remember whatever I learned from him. Because <laughs> 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 he did humble service. Nothing of what he taught me is banished from my mind. Near Yola, which is the town that Baba uh, did much of his sadhana in, in Maharashtra, there was a hill called Ankai, and near the hill a Vairagi lived, means uh, uh, a yogi, let's say. Uh, he was an expert in the Ramayana, and I wanted to learn the Ramayana from him. And most of you know what the Ramayana is, one of the epics, it's the story of Lord Ram very long telling of, of Ram's story. And every Indian school kid reads the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, these two epics. <clears throat> he said that he would teach me the Ramayana on the condition I did a certain job for him. 
He had people for all the other jobs. There was only one job which he didn't have for anyone, and that was picking up cow dung. <laughs> so I learned the Ramayana from him. I picked up cow dung for nine months. <clears throat> when one becomes very humble, it's easy to have sincere remorse for one's bad actions. Then one will be relieved of a great burden. So it's very interesting. The, the, uh, the answer went from guilt and remorse to humility. And so, so often in these times, uh, Baba has some other thing in mind and he brings it out. But of course, there is a connection there. All right, here's one that's uh, another one. This is also from my day. Uh, I would say this is vintage Baba. And uh, I suspect this is one of his planted questions, but we'll see. Veena asked, and Veena is again is very close to Baba. She's, uh, she used to work in the bookstore with uh, Girija. Uh, and and uh, she's, to this day, she, uh, she became a Swami much later and, and is still on the path. She says, what is the need of other gurus in the life of one who is truly devoted to his own guru? That sounds like a planted question. Somebody must have uh, done something and Baba wanted this. <clears throat> Baba said, if we've understood the true meaning of devotion, we would realize that the essence of devotion is a lack of promiscuity. That is absolute fidelity, absolute loyalty. Only single-minded loyalty and devotion bear fruit. One who is promiscuous in his devotional affiliation may find it very pleasant externally, but would not do him any good. The poet Sundada says, a person who is promiscuous in his devotion gets neither respect or any attainment. This is Baba, vintage Baba. So he had some ax to grind. There's somebody he was talking to. Baba says, promiscuity means giving your allegiance to more than one thing at a time. Promiscuity seems to be inherent in the very nature of the mind and the senses. The mind wants to give allegiance to many different systems, to many different paths, to many different teachers. Our sense organs are promiscuous. It is the very nature of our eyes to keep wandering from one object to another. It's the very nature of our ears to wander from one sound to another. And it's the very nature of the tongue to keep talking about one thing or another. The mind and the senses seem to be hopeless victims of promiscuity. <clears throat> you can tell this is in Ganeshpuri from my day because Baba never spoke like this in the West. He was much more, much better actually in the West. Was, these, all these talks would fry me terribly. <clears throat> the devotion one feels in the mind should express oneself in the senses. Tukaram Maharaj says, he is a true de devotee whose sole object of sense enjoyment is Narayan, the Lord. That means that your senses should only want to see the divine form, the form of the Lord. Our ears should only want to hear the sound of the divine name. You should be one-pointed, yes. <clears throat> now here's some from the tour. And you'll hear the different tune, uh, the different tone, perhaps. Uh, this one on fault finding. Question. <clears throat> I think this one was from the U.S. in the uh, Second World Tour. I know that criticism and fault finding are very foolish, 
and I'm becoming more aware of this all the time. But sometimes it comes out against the people I love the most. Why does this happen? Baba, you see faults in the beloved ones when your love is coupled with desire or selfishness. If you were loving for the sake of love, and if your love were totally selfless, you would not see faults. Seeing faults is not good for the one who sees them. It is not good food. You know, it reminds me of uh, Gurdjieff who used to talk about impressions as food. Our thoughts are food, our impressions are food. And we're so particular about our diets. Some people are just maniacal about their diets. You know, they read every label and they go through all that. But they're not so particular about the thoughts they have. They should weigh them. They should be like an apple or a pear. <laughs> not as heavy as a potato. <clears throat> we should be that particular about the, the food that we, the psychic food that we eat. Uh, so he says, if you remember the good that you did for these people, you'll see even more faults in them. In other words, don't keep thinking, oh, I did so much for that person. And they, are they grateful? <laughs> no. You have people in your life like that? that just, you know, he says, if you remember that, if you don't remember the good you did for them, you'll probably ignore their faults. So forget about everything good you've done for people and don't, don't make accounts. Right. <clears throat> okay, another one, also from the tour. Question, what should be my attitude towards bad actions that others inflict on me? It's a theme tonight, isn't it? <laughs> Baba, if you consider the evils done to you, dot, 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 as a gift from God, Another high bar, huh? <clears throat> and if you endure them, they become very good for you. In Sufism, there was a great child saint named Rabia. <clears throat> Baba likes to talk about Rabia, doesn't he? She led, a <clears throat> she led a very pure life, even from her childhood. Her name is famous in our literature and throughout the world. Rabia was sold into slavery. Now, this story is very, uh, you know, you may have a different reaction to it, but Baba's point is what it is. But Rabia was sold into slavery. During the daytime, no matter how much she was bothered by her master, she would repeat the Lord's name constantly. One night, her master visited her room and was astonished to see blue light everywhere. So he had a spiritual experience and realized she was a saint. He was terrified, and the following day he told her he would release her from slavery, and he offered her good lodgings which she could spend, in which she could spend her whole life. She told him he had, she had no need for a house to stay in, uh, but that if he wanted to, he could release her. So the point is that she had no rancor. If you two develop this power of endurance, uh, it will be very good for you. There's no meaning in enduring a painful experience if you cry and complain. But if you can endure hardship with composure, it will be very good for you. So Baba was a Stoic. He says that, uh, that if, you see, if you see everything comes to you as 
somehow attest something from, from the divine, and if you maintain your composure and your equanimity, you'll grow spiritually. But if you fall apart at everything, it's a problem. And in line with all of this is a, a bit of an autobiographical bit from, uh, from Baba. Question. You tell us we should test the guru well. In what ways did you test Bhagavan Nityananda? Baba. I never got any time to test him because he was always testing me. <laughs> By the time he finished testing me, he was, all, uh, he was already tested. I kept going back and forth, back and forth to my Baba for many years. <clears throat> I pursued him in all my life. Nowadays, people write me letters saying, I don't have any time to come to you. Will you send me Shaktipat? <laughs> that happens. I spent 25 years with him. He tested me and he taught me, and it took that many years. I don't test anybody as severely as he did. Mm. I spent so many years with him, and he tested me severely. He was not just, it was not just that he tested a person, but when he did, you gained the strength to digest everything. You became so strong. So this, a great guru doesn't give you too much, gives you just enough. Because it could easily overwhelm you and give you more than you can handle, but gives you just enough so that you grow. In the old days, I never wanted to hear lectures from my guru. I didn't think it was necessary to listen to his talks. But I had one pointed love for him. And I had the confidence that one day or another, I was going to receive his grace. And from that, I would attain everything. So thinking like this, I used to do different kinds of seva at his ashram, different kinds of service at his ashram. Baba says, gurus test you in different ways. And at the time, people used to laugh at me and say, well, he scolded Muktananda. He did this to Muktananda. He did that to Muktananda. They would laugh. My Baba used to receive a lot of sweets and fruit, and he would distribute them to people. They would get in line to receive a sweet, but when my turn came, he would keep the sweet aside and look the other way. <laughs> I wonder how many times that really happened, but, but anyway. People would laugh, saying, oh, Muktananda didn't receive prasad. He is an unfortunate being. This is a very unusual story because the Baba shows something about himself. Sometimes I used to say, well, when my karma opens up, when it brightens up, I'm going to get everything. You eat the sweets and be happy, but I will wait for my time. And it was true. <clears throat> and one last one. That's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, question. To whom does the guru give shakti? Since it's, it's the divine function of the guru to awaken, to awaken by means of shaktipat. The satguru, the true guru, has the power of Shaktipat to awaken another person's inner energy. And uh, sometimes people get it and sometimes they don't. Baba says, 
the guru gives shakti to a student who's willing to receive it. So it's, he used to say all the time that uh, disciples' grace is much more important than guru's grace. In other words, the openness, the shakti is there, the openness to it is what's important. <clears throat> he goes on. He doesn't decide he's going to give it to one and not to another. That's like asking to whom the sun gives heat. <clears throat> Anyone can tell you a person who takes the trouble to go outside and stand in the sun will receive its heat. We have to do that, isn't it? Uh, our old friend, Master Charles, used to say that all the time. He said, you want to get a suntan, you have to stand in the sun. In the same way, to get the Guru's grace, you open to the Guru. He's saying, <clears throat> uh, you stand, you receive a seat, whereas if you want to keep sitting in this house, you won't receive it. The sun has no favorites. Such a thought has no meaning. If you open yourself to the Guru, the Shakti will flow to you from him. Even if he didn't give it to you, you could draw it from him by force. And he used to tell wonderful stories of, um, well, particularly the story of Kabir, who was uh, a Muslim, and he wanted to be initiated by uh, a uh, Hindu guru named Ramananda, who was very Brahminical, and he only had Hindu disciples. Uh, so Kabir tricked him into getting Shaktipat from him. And <laughs> it enraged Ramananda, but it was too late he'd gotten it. And then also the story of Eklavia, you know, the, the tribal boy who was, uh, was also uh, a lower caste, and he wanted to learn archery from Dronacharya, so he built a statue of him, and he worshipped it, and all the energy and knowledge passed him. So even without the guru's uh, will, if the disciple is open, it means you can attain that. <clears throat> so if you are open, then that grace will uh, come in. So the thing is to learn to open, and the shakti will be there. It's a wonderful, it's a great thought. So let's do that. <clears throat> so. Guru's grace is the elixir of life. It's called many things in different tradition. In Christianity, they call it the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's called many things in other paths, but all the religions know about it. They know that it is a movement from the divine that a human being can have when they open to it. And so even here and now, if we open ourselves the right way and orient ourselves towards whatever form of the divine, whatever way the higher power manifests in your mind, open to that. Let that light, let that power, let that love, let that joy, let that energy flow inside. And this is the greatest meditation, is to open yourself to that which is beyond that which is infinite, that which is pure consciousness.
to that which is pure joy, pure will, pure luminosity. And we can do that by operating within ourselves and opening our being. Let go all our doubts and our fears, our thoughts, our attitudes, drop everything and just open. The way you bask in the sun, when you bask in the sun, I guess people don't bask in the sun anymore. Uh, it's too dangerous. But in the old days, you'd bathe in the sun, just lie there and open to the sun. You don't lie there and then have lots of uh, uh, issues. So in the same way, you, you open and bask in the rays of divinity. And so let's do that. That's the greatest meditation. So for 10 minutes, let's meditate. Open to your own inner power, to your own inner self, to the bliss, the joy that's already there inside everyone. I'm convinced, Baba used to say this again and again, and I'm convinced that this power lies within, and it's only our minds, our attitude, that separates us from it. So let's open here and now, for 10 minutes, let's open to that higher power. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakurunath Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate now for 10 minutes.